0: I think it'll be up on the slides. It's great to see you all. Right? It's good to see each other. You know, if you can. um, We're going to actually just cram through a bunch of scriptures uh, at the beginning. And hopefully that's going to set us up for our time in the book of John. But um, I want to introduce to you today the theme for the next number of weeks. Yes? Oh, raise your hand, please, if you don't have a handout. And while that's being passed out, uh, John Reed wanted me to clarify with everyone, he is not undergoing chemo. All right? He's doing radiation therapy, and he says it's going very well. So, amen. Keep your prayers in the zone. And we are going to talk about uh, for the next number of weeks. And uh, we're going to be calling it the theme is great for real. Alright, because you know what, a lot of times, you know, I don't care what the political slogan is, and what people think greatness is, and who we want to make great these days, we've got to look at the Bible for what true greatness is, don't you think? And we're going to be looking, actually in the New Testament, we're going to be covering this notion of greatness. Now, I spelled great a certain way, G-R-8, and you go, why is that? Because I want us to collectively pray, and I'm going to be talking about that later in the lesson. I want us to co- collectively pray that we see before, between now and the end of the year, eight new souls added to God's kingdom. How does that sound? Amen. In East Cities and in Las Americas together. You go. How are we going to do it, Dave? What are we going to do? Well, we start by doing this thing called praying. Amen. Sound good? Amen. And I want us to kind of. So that's what we're going to be. We're going to be thinking about being great for real, because there's an overinflated sense of greatness. There's a wrong sense of greatness. There might be even a sense of greatness that we're avoiding. We'll talk about that today, but I want you to understand greatness is actually part of God's plan. Did you know that? When you think about your life, when you contemplate in who you are, greatness is part of God's plan. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Well, look at it. It's in your sheet. We won't turn there because we're going to rifle through. Even from the beginning, God had greatness in mind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. It doesn't matter what gender you are. God created you for greatness. He says, you are in my image. This is something for us to understand. Greatness is part of God's plan. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every every living creature that moves on the ground. That almost sounds like a supervillain agenda. (laughs) Subdue the earth. Rule over everything. Right? But this is God saying, when He looked at mankind, when He looks at you and me, He goes, "Bah!" Ha, ha, you shall be powerful and amazing. So, first point I want us to understand: greatness is God's will for us. Greatness is God's will for us. It's His vision. It's His heart. It's His desire. And you go, what kind of greatness? He says, man, as human beings, we're supposed to command a lot. All of creation should be under our thumb. Isn't that intense? Now you go, well, that, does that mean we could just abuse the environment? If you look at how Jesus describes leadership. And that's why over the next number of months, during Sunday, we're going to be covering the book of Matthew. And in the, in the book of Matthew, there are like over 30 references to greatness and being great. For our midweeks, we'll be looking in, in the book of Acts. And also in the book of Acts, there are over 30 references of being great. We're not going to cover the book chapter by chapter. We're just look at where Jesus talked about greatness. And when Jesus says, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be first, what should you be? Last. So even when we as human beings... Are supposed to lead this world. It should be as caregivers. As people who respect and are kind and are loving. We're going to talk about God's view of greatness. Not an overinflated, deceived, twisted view of greatness. That's why we're calling it great for real. But it's in your creation, it's in you. If you really peel back and get rid of all the trauma and disappointment and mistakes you've made in your life. There's greatness calling you. There's one thought we want you to have today. Just to understand this. It's the second thought. Be of great influence. That's what I want you to be. I want you to think that you will be of great influence. Think of yourself as a child. How many of you have little kids right now? Our little kids are demanding. You know, if you're a two-year-old, you think you own the world. You cry when you don't get your way. You have tantrums when you don't get your way. That's what your little mister or little miss is. Because they want, they believe, they believe they can have it all. When you were little, didn't you think you could be that? You could be a firefighter, an astronaut, and a doctor all at once. You could be a superhero. You could be anything. When you're little, you just think that you dream that you can conquer, that you can help, you can serve, that you would be of influence on this earth. See, it's part of your creation. The third thing we understand, we are created for influence you were built to influence you know one of the things i notice when people are going through adolescence if you're raising teens right now they hit a certain age and they wonder hey what am i here for why am i important am i important And it doesn't matter now if mom or dad think I'm important. Does anyone else? Because the teens start realizing, hey, you know what? You're going to think I'm awesome no matter what. (laughs) And so when you go, I think you're awesome. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does everyone else think? But in our hearts, we're created for influence. It is people would rather be, and not that it's healthy either way. There are studies that show that people who undergo abuse actually fare better than people who are ignored. Isn't that crazy? That neglected people end up doing worse than people who actually face suffering. Why? Because at least if you're being abused or picked on, people notice you. Something in our hearts. Come oh, on. I'm important. You go, why is that? Because God created you in his image. You're his children. So God created you in your inner being. God created you to feel important. Can you think that way? Genesis chapter 18, verse 18. It just says this a note you don't have to turn there. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. You see, what kind of greatness does God envision? What kind of influence here? In, in, line, in line four, God envisions, gr- envisions great influence by us individually. God looked at Abraham and he says, Through you, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. And he says, Through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Did you know God envisions greatness for you individually? He does. For you individually. Greatness is not for someone else, it's for you. And it's important to grab hold of that. Because I'm telling you, the world drags you away from it. You know, I was reading Us Magazine. I was at the pharmacy, looked at Us Magazine, and you know, there's a section in Us Magazine where it says, they're just like us. Have you ever seen that section? You know, what is it? You know, people want to drag these movie stars and make them go, hey, they're just like us. You know, on the extreme end, if you look at the magazine rack, there's always these pictures of, hey, look at Tyra Banks, fat. Look at this model, fat. They always want to show the fat picture of someone who is beautiful. Have you ever seen those? Have you ever wanted to look at them? I do. I was going, huh, interesting. Right? Because why? Because I want to feel like something beautiful or noble or whatnot can be dragged down and be as ugly as I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Yeah, I I wanna do that, right? You look at this image, you go, I I wanna make sure, you know, I wanna, I don't wanna feel so bad. Sometimes something in me wants to drag people down. Have you ever been in a bad mood and then someone comes in and they're in a good mood and you go, what's your problem? Isn't that feeling? There's something in us. We want to take great things and drag them down just to make us feel better. Satan's doing that. When you have a dream or vision or heart, a hope, a care, a concern, something noble in your heart, the headlines can go through your brain. Maybe you'll make a mistake. Maybe you'll mess up. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe no one will care. No one will notice. The headlines of your cellulite plastered everywhere. The headlines of your mistakes and who you are not shown because Satan wants you to think if you try for greatness, it will be humiliating and you will fail. See, this God had vision for people individually. He says, Abraham, you're going to be awesome. Numbers 14, verse 19. Moses' prayer, in accordance with your great love. This is Moses talking to God. Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. You know, Jesus was praying to God, asking him, because God wanted to wipe out. He wanted to smite. Right? Isn't that a cool word? It just sounds like smash and rub out, smite the Israelites because they were ungrateful and they were grumbling and they were idol worshiping. And God said, enough, I'm done with them. They should be gone. Smite city. Moses' prayer changed everything. We connect people with forgiveness. That's the kind of influence you can have. You as an individual can make sure many people are forgiven. I think when I look back at my life spiritually, the thing I feel like I'm most known for is messing up. You go, really? You go, yeah, those are the things that sit in my mind. Isn't that the same way with many of us, right? That Don't you remember the mess-ups? I tried once to fudge my way through an interview. I was a... And I, I just started making up the story. And then later on, I realized, boy, I did not know what I was talking about. I looked like an idiot to that person. And to this day, my spine kind of goes like that. Have you ever had that moment? You just think back in your life and you just go, ugh. <laughs> that haircut you had, whatever. You know what I mean. The The, the day you just... I remembered, I... I tried acting in high school, and I did a monologue, and people were laughing at me in the audience. Not in a good way. Right? When I think about a lot of it, my spiritual history, remember when I was baptized when I was 21, I left God when I was, uh, baptized when I was 18, left God when I was 21, came back when I was 23. But from 18 to 21, boy, did I have big dreams of greatness. I appreciate Mike. He says, oh, I'm going to save my family. We're going we're gonna to reverse Beverly Hills, Billy's it, and go to Bakersfield. We're going to convert everyone. And then, boy, wow, it's hot here, and no one's really becoming a disciple. I think I'm just pack back and go to L.A. You know those big dreams you have when you're starting something out? So I thought, wow, you know, back then, it was in the 80s when I got baptized. Yes, I was 18 in the 80s. That makes me older now. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be part of mission plantings. I was a political science major. Okay, and I thought, i got to change to engineering because maybe that's going to help me sneak back in to North Korea. Yeah, think about it. You go, oh, you kind of look like Kim Jong-un. <laughs> I, I heard you. You know, I said, okay, well, I, I can help Korea because I'm a Korean. I don't speak any Korean, but I thought, oh, I can help. <laughs> I remember being from, I'm also from L.A., and there was no church here in L.A. At the time. Oh, I can help plant a church in L.A. I remember all these dreams. I was a, a, a student. At Stanford at the time. Oh, one day, you know, I'll I'll help lead the Stanford campus ministry. All these thoughts in my head. So by the time I was 21, I was done. Those dreams were dead. And so I come back to God, age 23, no longer a college student. The mission team had already been planted to Korea, and a church had already planted in LA. Wah wah. wah. <laughs> You go, well, what happened? What, what's, what's your story? Well, here's the cool thing. Even while I had left the church, I brought my fraternity roommate. We we started a fraternity together. I brought him to church. okay, And he became a disciple, and he ended up leading the Stanford campus ministry. Isn't that cool? Did you know there's two people who are on the L.A. mission team that I brought? I brought one of them to church, studied the Bible with her because she was my friend from high school. Her name was Grace. You guys know Grace. Grace Wong now. And then another person I brought to church, she became a disciple. She met the person who met Curtis Kahn, who was also on the mission team. So two people out of the 28 people that were on the LA mission team were somehow connected to my efforts spiritually. Isn't that cool? I look back. And then a year after I came back to church, I moved to L.A. And we started this kind of ministry, a Korean ministry that helped train the people who ended up leading the soul church. Isn't that cool? So all those dreams were still somehow able to be kept alive. Because no matter what, God says, I have a plan for you individually. Through you, somehow, great things can happen. And Moses' prayer changed God's will. Isn't that awesome? Moses' prayer influenced the fabric and destiny of humankind. Do you believe that somehow, some way, you're meant for greatness? First Samuel eighteen, verse fourteen. In everything he, and that's David, did. He had great success because the Lord was with him. You know, we can be successful with the Lord's presence. If the Lord is with you, anything can happen. So don't let your busyness distract you. If you're with the Lord, he, he can make anything you touch be awesome. Now, I'm telling you, I understand what it feels like when things aren't that awesome. When your child is waking up in the middle of the night and throwing up, you don't think, oh, awesome is my future. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're sitting there grinding through the homework with your kids, you're not going, awesome. When you're cleaning your house, you, it doesn't seem awesome. When the bills don't match, where's the awesome here? If the God is with you, success is around the corner. we got to believe for you individually, the power of God is there. But do you see it? 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 36. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You know, also other translations, when you look at the way it was written in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's not your help has made me great. It says, God, you stoop down to make me great. Greatness is God's priority for you. A lot of times we think, oh no, God just wants me serving him. A lot of times we use that language. Oh, I'm just here to serve the Lord. I just, I just want to serve God. I just want to, whatever. whatever. God, I'm just here to do, you know, the Lord's will. I, I'm just here, and we, we try to make it out like I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm the janitor for God. But you know what? God's will is that you be great. He didn't hire you to be his janitor. Although to be God's janitor is a great honor. But His will for you. Is for you to be great. Let's go to Jeremiah 29. God literally will stoop down to make you great. Do you know how far and high and amazing and distant God is from us? He's far. I mean, he's huge. God occupies all of existence. And he stoops down to make you great. When you're busy and your little one is crying... You know, you say, Come on, just go, go, go. But you know what your child really needs? For you to get down low and look at your kid eye to eye. And that's what God does. He will, as awesome and powerful as he is, he's going to stoop down. And you go, how can I make you great? If greatness is not on your heart, you do not understand God. Jeremiah 29. Verse 11 for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God says, I want to see you be great. A hope, a future, prosperity. You will seek me. What it says in verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here's an interesting thought God's beginning point is I just want thing I just want you to be great that's then when you realize that you'll come find me but his beginning point is I want you to be great a lot of people a lot of false teaching out there a lot of false teaching about God God just wants to have a relationship with you, do you do, have you ever heard that? God just wants to have a relationship with you. He just wants to be connected to you. And let's just have a mediocre life of just going, well, God just wants to hang out with me. Now, God says this I want you to be great. And if you know that, you'll want to be with me. That's what the scripture says. God just doesn't want to hang out with you, He wants your life to be awesome. I love my kids. I don't just want to hang out with them as a matter of fact when they're quite young they're boring to me <laughs> now my wife she cherished every moment with her kids not me there are some dads here i know you you're very very like oh look at uh, have fun da 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 <laughs> roland santos right he's that type of guy right <laughs> oh landing, did do anything oh this is so great you know mr cuddly dad not me we had one brother text, my my, my, my my child fell off the bed. You know, I, I feel so horrible as a dad. I go, I did that with both my kids. I didn't learn my lesson. I would get so bored with my kids, I'd fall asleep and they'd roll off the bed. My kids were not interesting to me. Not until they get older and they have ideas and they have dreams and they have, you know, like they want to do something. I go, this is cool. (laughs) Now they're way interesting to me (laughs) because we're talking about things. Because I'm not the play guy. I'm like, let's do something great. God, actually, he just doesn't want to have a relationship with you. He's there. He goes, I want you to be awesome. I want you to prosper. I don't want any harm to you. I want want you to have hope. I want you to have a future. And so when you realize what kind of dad I am, then you'll have a relationship with me. So it's got to be wired into us. This is who God is. God wants to make you great. Now here's a little bit of an English and Spanish lesson. Okay, we'll go to Acts chapter 11. This is the second part so the notion is God just wants you to be of influence we're going to talk about why influence is so important and why you being of influence is part of the equation we'll go to Acts chapter 11 and you see but in Jeremiah I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord you know English is an interesting culture we grew up at we all of us if you've grown up just speaking English it's a very Different culture than if you grew up in speaking Spanish. You know why? Because when we say you, we immediately think it's just me. If I say, hey, you all need to repent. If I say you need to repent, you'll go, okay, he's just telling me. We take it very personally. But in Spanish, there's you all, ustedes. And there's you individually. And Jesus, when he says, I know I have the plan. I, I know the plans I have for you. It's actually all of you. Isn't that crazy? And so in American culture or English-based culture, it's very individualized. They think, oh, it's just me. It's just me. It's just me. Let's go to Acts chapter 11, verse 21. And We'll look at this in midweek, but I just want to give you a slice of it, a little taste of it. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them... And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. you know what? The Lord's hand isn't just with you individually. Sometimes we've got to understand that the Lord's hand has to be with us. God says, I know that I have the plans for all of you. And, and the, the, the point I want us to have is in line 8, God envisions great influence by us together. Greatness is not just supposed to be for you alone. Because, in fact, greatness does not feel great if you experience it alone. You know how they say it's lonely at the top? Because it is. You know, I know in our minds we have this thought. Haven't you ever done it? If you play video games, have you, if you play video games, you know, you, you, it's like so exciting. <sighs> I saved the galaxy. <sighs> right? Mad football? I won the game. Right? But in the vision, you know, if you play the karaoke, right? I'm the next American idol. You know, it, we, when we think of greatness, we don't think of no one watching. Right? I'm the next American idol. Cricket. Cricket. I'm singing alone, but I'm singing very, very well. I won the game against nobody, and no one was watching. Greatness does not feel great if you experience it alone. And I think a lot of us, we need to understand God wants us to be great together. That's why greatness has a lot to do with influence. Because we want to feel like we're important to somebody. We want to feel like our existence on this planet matters to someone. Let's go to John 14. So that's why when we say great for real, we're talking about this theme. What we're talking about is that, hey, yeah, you know what? Our greatness is going to come in the form of us doing something together, influencing together, caring together, because there's power in that. There's power when you feel like your life matters. In John 14, verse 1 through 4, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. You know, we go, oh, God's pre- preparing a place for me. That's how we take it. That's how we preach it. Sometimes when we teach us this passage, we go, hey, God has this special room just for you. It has surround sound. It has you know, twenty k TV. It has people coming in, providing you your best food that you ever wanted because we think it's for me. You know, he's saying no. God's preparing a, a room for all of you, and that could mean we'll be roommates. <laughs> like rot row. Because he was talking to his twelve apostles as a group. It's ustedes. It's a plural. Sometimes togetherness is part of the dream. In verse 10, he, in line 10, he's just saying, hey, you there's a place for you and it's going to be awesome. We're supposed to dream together. We're supposed to imagine this room together, this sense of awesomeness together. It's not enough just to say, hey, it's for you. We've got to be people who value. It's for us. A good quarterback, when interviewed, doesn't go, this is what I did, that was great. He always say, hey, you know what? The defensive team did awesome. This group, did, you know, if it wasn't for my linemen, if it wasn't for, they'd take great care if you listen. Yeah. A great quarterback will do that and not talk on and on about himself. Because I don't think they're just doing it, playing lip service. They believe it because... Teamwork makes the what? Dream work. John 14, verse 5. It says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, he makes it very clear. What do we do together? Jesus makes it clear to all of them. Guess what? You need to focus on me together. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Have you ever been with a team that's going in different directions? It doesn't. It's not fun. And we focus together. We need to know what the way is, what the truth is, where the life is. It's very important to do that. You can't have a family if you don't sit together. You know, it's interesting. I was noticing with my son whenever um, I just noticed that lately we, we have a lot of people over you know, for meals. And so when we have dinner, we're all sitting together. I realize, you know, he's kind of more quiet when other people are at the meal table. My my daughter was not. She talked about the same no matter who's there. Because my, my daughter feels more confident around adults, actually less confident around kids her age. But my son is the opposite. And so when we gather, gather together, he's quiet. And so I asked him, I just noticed this like two weeks ago. And he goes, yeah, I, I don't know people, so I don't no, and, I, and I'm younger, and I don't know what they're talking about, and so I just get quiet. And I realize, you know what, as a family, we need to sit down, just all of us, to talk. Amen. You know, it, as much as it's good to bring people in, he needs that time with the, you know, because my daughter's in college, the three of us now, just having a meal together. Yeah. Sometimes you got to realize, wow, we've got to focus together. we got to sit down and just go eye to eye. Let's be on the same page and Jesus says hey I want you to know to get where we're going you focus on me verse four, uh, verse 7 if you really knew me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him Philip said, Lord show us the Father and that will be enough for us Jesus answers don't you know me Philip even after I have been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the Father how can you say show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. You know, it's this interesting thought, but it's something we always have to remember. Jesus modeled togetherness in his relationship with God. And he says, I'm the Father, the Father is with me. That's the whole beauty about Christianity. Other religions, they, they the reason why Islam exists is because they decided, well, there's only One God. God cannot possibly exist three in one. Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father being three in one. But we just read in Genesis, God said, Let us make man in whose image? Our image. He says, Let us create man and woman. Both of us are in God's image. Men and women do not look alike. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Praise Jesus. <laughs> so we physically look different. How, does God look like a, you know, she You know, what does God look like, right? No, because God exists in togetherness. When a husband and wife come together, the two become wh- what? One. Part of all the gospel is this notion that separate beings can really be one. This togetherness exists, and that's how God works. And so, God, Jesus just says, I work with my Father. And that's how you know who my Father is. How we work together matters. And the best way to bond is to work together. I want you to understand that. Why do we do things together as a church? Why do we decide, let's have special contribution, which we haven't really had yet. We will focus on it in November, just so you know. Okay, so I know some of you have already given. Great, we thank you for it. Many of you have not yet. You go, what are we giving to it? We'll work on it in November. We just haven't pulled together yet enough to really be functional in that way. Does that make sense? I just wanna throw something out at you. Hey, do it and then move on. Let's just learn how to work together. But if we have something like, hey, special contribution. In October 29th, we'll have the Family Fest. When we work together, guess what? We get closer. Have you ever been on an awkward blind date? You're just trying to talk to each other and you're asking like the same question. So, you know, how'd you become a disciple? Who met you? So, what kind of music do you like? What kind of food do you like? So, what do you do for fun? <laughs> what movies do you like? <laughs> and, and you know what? That possibility may just kind of fade out of your life. But sometimes if you work together, you realize, huh, oh, I kind of like this person. With the teens, what we did uh, with teen ministry, we realized if you just tell them, hey, you kids need to be close to each other, they don't get close to each other. Because they whip out the gadgets. (laughs) But if you go, I need you to work on this together. Guess what they do? They get closer. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I'm so close to God because we do the same work. Verse 12. Here's the money verse. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. It says they will do even greater things. Not just you, but they. Because it's together. Individually, I don't think any of us could do greater things than Jesus. But together we can. Individually, I think we would lose the courage to lay down our life the way Jesus did. But together we will. I believe individually, we won't even see the needs around us that need our attention. I'm telling you, some of you are great at seeing needs. Some of you are not. I am not. Right? I need people in my life to help me realize what are their needs. Together, we can see like Jesus would see. Some of us don't have the strength to do things or the skill or the wisdom. Have you ever just confronted a situation and go, help me, Jesus? And Jesus says there's people around you who can help you make the influence and the impact that you would want because together we can. God envisions greatness for you individually, but he also says there is greatness for us together. That's why we're going to focus on greatness in the next number of months. In chapter 14, verses 13, that will go on. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father will be maybe glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Have you prayed, and nothing has happened? And you say, Jesus, I asked in your name. Guess what? This isn't you singular. This is you plural. We need to pray together. In Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said, If two of you, two or more of you, ask, It'll be done for you. There's so much power in togetherness. And many of us, we need to call one another to be together. There are people here who are just individualistic from whatever happened in our lives. When you were a kid, you weren't individualized. When you were a kid, you wanted someone to hold you and talk to you and love you. But things happen. You say, well, has got to get done by myself. I'm all alone now. And I get that. That happens to us. But God says the power is when we pray together. That's why I want us all to pray. Hey, let's see eight people added to God's church through this ministry in the next four months. Can we pray for that together? You're going to have us fling invitations at people knock on doors and have sleepless nights. No, no, no. Because it begins. The power is in our prayer together. You know, we've got to understand prayers without purpose lack power. Prayers without purpose lack power. If you don't feel like you have a mission on this earth, what do you pray for? You and the people who you know. And that's it. And your prayers are short and empty. Because you don't think, my now has more significance than just getting through. We've got to understand that there are so many distractions today. It's easy to forget you have a bigger mission. But those of us who decide, guess what? My marriage is supposed to matter. You may not get along with your spouse. And you got to go, guess what? My marriage matters. I'm going to suck it up and learn how to give. You go, you know what? My example matters. And I'm not getting along with my kids. You're going to suck it up and be a better parent. My example matters. You may hate your job. You're going to suck it up and be a great example. You're going to ask for God, for supernatural power, to be of influence wherever you are at because you think you are meant for greatness. In chapter 14, verse 15, we're almost done. Isn't it good you have these notes because you go, okay, he's finished soon. Um, So... I don't do it just for, you know, it, it helps. Okay, okay, where are we at now? Whew. All right. I can use the bathroom soon, you know. Lunchtime's coming up. Yeah, I, I get it. Chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him, Sees him, nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Here's the thing we just looked at. We looked at Moses' prayer life. It had a purpose, and he was able to make sure two million people got forgiven. That's intense. One man's prayer life could make sure two million people get forgiven. How would you like to be of that kind of influence? It says David was successful in everything he did because he was in the presence of the Lord. The Lord was with him. And Jesus says, here's the secret. Togetherness can bring the power. Let's have a together prayer life. It says right here. If you obey me, the Holy Spirit will be in you. See, a lot of false teaching out there, they just say, if you ask Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you. No, in this passage, it says, the Holy Spirit could be with you. God could be saying, hey, my spirit's with you, tapping you on the shoulder, going, hey, 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 notice me. Hey, woo come on. Read, open up the book. He could be blessing you, hugging you, moving you. The Holy Spirit could be just moving, moving, moving. He's not in you yet. But he says, hey, If you obey, I'll be in you. So, individually and together, obedience can bring the Spirit. And so, when we realize this, when we collectively just focus on Jesus being the way, you'll be amazed at how much the Holy Spirit comes upon us and dwells within us. We'll close out in Matthew 28. Because Jesus illustrates this. The reason why we close out with this is because, once again, we are going to cover Matthew uh, in the next number of weeks. But Matthew 28 closes with what, what we call the Great Commission. The word great isn't in it, but we call it the Great Commission. So I'll end with this because it illustrates this notion that even when Jesus ascended, he just said, My vision for you is greatness. In Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Remember, the Holy Spirit is in you when you obey. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, you know, you obey. My presence is with you and in you. But here's the thing. We are commanded to influence all nations. Just little grunt work effort has importance. That's what I got when Mike was talking. He he didn't tell you, you know, you could just hear, wow, his father got baptized. What a miracle. Wow, that was so awesome. He was talking about a 20-year journey of daily steps that 20 year journey of daily steps turned into something great failures of mine broken dreams of mine actually got fulfilled and what I was going to have us do but we didn't have the time I was going to have us stand up and sing a song and I was going to illustrate something because sometimes the Holy Spirit teaches you things and tells you you're wrong and tells you what's right for a while now, we have the screen down here and the stage right here, and people would sing because I thought it's weird because everyone's looking this way. And everyone was sitting in the back so they could see the screens. Do you remember all that? Well, I've been gone for a few weeks, and I come back, and the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. The church has rebelled against me. How darest thou violate? That was my first thought, because when we first... when I. Not really When we first got here What happened was And you don't realize this When we first got here When when Rob and I saw this We'd be singing And this side of the room Was looking and singing Off of those lyrics And this side of the room Was looking and singing Off of those lyrics When we first moved here And so I was going to Have us stand up And do that Because these lyrics Are closer to this side These lyrics are closer To this side It's easier to look To the side closest to you but what happens is the fellowship isn't looking at each other. We spent. Remember those Sundays where I said, hey, look at each other when you sing? Then I realized this is the best way to lay it out. Because we sit up close, and this side looks farther and sings from that screen. And this side looks farther and scre- sings from this screen. Guess what you do? You face each other. And it brings the fellowship together. Isn't that crazy? So I thought, wow, this is a good idea. (laughs) This really gets us to look at each other. Now, I've seen some of you. You're singing on this side, some of you are singing off of that, and some of you on this side. Change it. Because if you change your perspective and you decide, I'm going to look towards someone else and look farther than what is comfortable, it brings love into the room. If I'm going to look away from somewhere else and just kind of stick to what's closer to me, it brings division. Isn't that crazy? And God says, Dream about greatness. Look across the room. Look at someone else. You'll see great things happen. He says, I want you to influence all nations. I want you to go make disciples. And so, what I want you to understand is this we are commanded to influence all nations. Look across the room and look at other people. Secondly, the question you want to ask yourself is who are you influencing? If you say no one, I'm telling you, you aren't living a fulfilled life that God intended for you. You might be living the life you intended for you, but there's a greater fulfillment (laughs) that God has for you. It really is wonderful. It's stressful. I hang out with a lot of people in this room during the week. And we have some pretty meaningful talks or I'll talk with you on the phone. And there's some meaningful talks in that, you know, our job is to build each other's faith. We're supposed to teach each other the faith and love of Jesus. And when your words give someone hope, you're driving off and you start praying, Oh Lord, please fulfill the hope I just helped someone have. Have you ever felt that? Yeah. You just want God to come through for that person. It'll draw you close to God if you feel like you're here on this earth to bring hope to other people's lives. Who are you influencing? Line 19, who are you evangelizing? Because you've got to go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't matter if they become a Christian, but just someone that you're helping find their spiritual way. It says in verse 20, teaching them to obey everything. Who are you discipling? Did you know it's not a command for you to get discipled, but it is a command for you to disciple? A lot of times, our church, oh, you got to get disciple, you got to get disciple. You know, that, you know, if our command is to disciple, then by default, you have to. Someone's going to have to. You're not, someone's going to disciple you. Okay. But the command is really for you to think: Who can I influence? You. You need to walk into this room every Sunday and say: Who can I be of help? If you say no one in your mind and heart, sit with someone so they can encourage you and help you find your significance and your worth. I'm not going to point at you and say, oh, no one. Oh, well, you're just so horrible, prideful, selfish. No, I'm saying you don't know your worth. You don't know that God looks at you and says you are meant for greatness. You're created for greatness. You are to be of influence. This is God's heart. And that's why we're going to cover it for the next number of weeks. So we can just have God's heart. And get in touch with his destiny for us. Does that sound good? Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great time in fellowship.